0: well howdy there folks it's me heather back with another episode of my novel strike boat which i am podcasting as an audiobook for free on substack um so today is january 21st 2022 where i'm at it's cold today but the sun is shining and the world looks like a pretty beautiful place outside my window so wherever you are i hope you are feeling that vibe as well And with that, I will get started on today's chapter. Chapter 9, Doucette and Lodi. They were still at the window when Fallon pulled his custom thrust down the service alley and rolled into sight by the dumpster. Holy a-holes, they exclaimed, pointing out the window. Deb, come here, you gotta see this. Deb got up, stretched, then went to join him. Oh, man. What the hell is the boss man doing here? She did the classic facepalm, then looked back over her shoulder at Jay. Man, you're going to want to bring that laptop over here, child, if you're still filming. Lawrence Fallon just showed up. Jay picked up the laptop, cradled it with the screen facing it outwards. He crossed to the window. That him there, and that... What is that? Some kind of thrust convertible? Vic nodded. Yep. Me and the boys in the paint shop worked on that custom job for a week. Robots weren't set up to handle the new contours Fallon wanted on that vehicle. See those fender flares? Fallon insisted on having those, but the paint robots couldn't reach them right, so that's why it took so long to finish it. Jay turned the laptop so that it was facing Vic. Vic pointed out the window. That right there, folks, is a custom thrust convertible, a pilot car one that only one man has access to, and that man is Lawrence Fallon. Now, what is he doing in a back alley behind the municipal building in Mount Bridges, I wonder? Let's watch. Jay turned the laptop back to face the scene that was unfolding outside, three floors down. Fallon had gotten out of the car and stretched. He did a lazy half-twist in the sun, raising his arms above his head, giving Jay the opportunity to get the perfect angle on his face. Hey, Carrie, Jay said, pull the feet up on your phone. Let me know if you can see this in the live stream. Carrie did it. It's grainy, man, but it's there. If I zoom in, I can see it. Perfect, Jay said. They watched as Fallon walked around to the trunk of the thrust and popped it open. He pulled out a brown leather case and then turned to lean with his back against the open trunk. He unzipped the case and pulled out his Glock, snapping open the chamber and sighting down the barrel fondly before sealing it back into the satchel, unaware that he was putting this performance on for everyone who was watching the live stream feed. Okay, mister Shitty and Grin and Shady Collective Bargaining Tactics, what are you doing with that gun out there? Deb said this quietly, but the internet heard her. I'll tell you what he's doing. He's one of them. His name was on that email list. He brought set another gun, since Mr. James here took his weapon away. As she said this, Jenna took hold of the edge of the laptop and gently angled it toward her face. Take a good long look, folks. See that very wealthy man out there? See that gun? That's the gun they're going to use to try to hurt me. That's the gun they're going to use to try to silence me, to get this live stream down, to get the video down. That's why you need to believe me that this is real. Save yourselves. She let go and Jay swiveled again so that the laptop camera could focus on the scene that was unfolding down below. Fallon sauntered casually around the front of the thrust and walked up to the Range Rover. From up in the council chambers, they couldn't see into the rover, just the roof, but the angle was such that they could see Fallon standing a meter or two away from the driver's side door. There was a moment when Fallon recoiled. Probably got a look at that fox guy's face, Carrie laughed. He turned an alarming and admiring smile to Lodi. Man, that swing. One day you're going to have to teach me how you did that. At the bottom of the Facebook live stream, the number of people viewing grew. Fallon had been shocked to see the damage on the face of Gilles Doucette all right, but he recovered quickly. Man, I wouldn't want to be the guy that did that to you. Once you get a hold of him, you can make him pay. Grinning, he passed the satchel through the open window. Inside the vehicle, Doucette was seething he'd heard Fallon pull up, get out of the car, and pop the trunk. He'd heard that idiot unzip the satchel, and then he'd heard the telltale whirring click as Fallon spun the chamber on the Glock. The gun was nice, the Glock a worthy piece of iron, but Fallon was a dolt. How many of them were watching that little performance from the third floor window, DeSat wondered. Fallon may not have noticed that there were people up there watching, but the fox had noticed. Oh, yes, indeed. Fallon was a buffoon. That much was obvious. But telling him so would only drag this shit show on a little longer. And so Doucette kept his comments to himself. Internally, however, he did add Fallon's name to his personal shit list. He took the gun case and the drugs, then scowled at Fallon until he left. At least he knew enough to keep the cops under control, Doucette thought. While Fallon hauled ass out of there, Doucette did a hefty snort of the cocaine and felt better almost immediately as it hit his bloodstream. His, the raging throbbing in his face diminished and he crept across the front seat to the passenger door, wondering if they could see it open from the window. He thought not. He was pretty sure the corner angle of the dumpster was deep enough to hide the movement, and he was right. No one in the council chambers saw him exit the vehicle, or crouch walk around to stand with his back pressed up against the far side of the dumpster. He risked a glance, keeping tight to the side of it, and then looked at the, at the window through the weapon's magnified sight. There were about six of them, six round faces, easily enough for the Glock to take on, sorry, easily enough for the Glock to take care of from this distance. He allowed himself a quick and satisfying mental vision of himself, capping them all in their shocked, piggy little faces, mouths around O of surprise as he capped them one by one. Pop, 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 pop. That would be too easy, though. He had a score to settle with the one who had clubbed him, that and the pretty brunette as well. They weren't quite looking in his direction. They were looking to the other side of the dumpster where Fallon had been, Doucette considered his options. The tall kid was on the far end beside his little Asian girlfriend. Beside them was a pretty brunette that had to be the mayor. He felt a tightening in his groin. She'll do, he had said to Cynthia, and she would. Beside her, another guy was talking to a shorter, dark-skinned woman. A beautiful, dark-skinned woman. She'll do, too, he thought and maybe the Asian girl, too. He panned the scope a little further down the line of faces. There was one last face at the window, and on seeing who it was, the twinge of recognition he'd experienced earlier thudded into place inside his mind. Lodi fucking James, he thought, and pulled the trigger. From the corner of his eye, Lodi saw the muzzle flash, He he reacted on instinct, his years of military training coming to the fore and taking over. The ripple effect occurred again. Time slowed down inside his mind. Movement stretched out, Events snapped into sharper focus as he went into the flow zone. Get them down, he thought. And even before the thought had finished registering, he let his knees go slack. He shifted his weight threw his upper body to the left, directly into Debbie's chest. Get down, he roared. His arms shot forward as he pushed her. Debbie turned her head to gob at Lodi with eyes as wide as saucers, even as the air was rushing out of her lungs as she was falling, flying backward into Vic. The sudden sideways momentum generated by Lodi's lunge toppled the five of them like a house of cards as the window shattered inwards. Shards of glass rained down. The bullet sheared an upward path across the room and lodged itself into the recessed woodwork of the ceiling. Another followed, then another, but the people on the floor were safe, sprawled in a tangle of limbs out of the slanting line of the trajectory. Jay had fallen over as well, but he righted himself quickly and turned the laptop in time to catch the majority of what came next. Fuck you, James! Doucette's scream of rage came to them on the open air, but he had stopped firing. Lodi's ears were ringing. He still had tinnitus, damage from his last encounter with Doucette, and probably he always would, but he heard the quiet when Doucette stopped firing and he also heard it when Doucette had screamed his name. Lodi was on his feet in one smooth motion. He drew the gun from the waistband of his jeans and clicked the safety off. With his back against the wall beside the shattered window, he looked out, holding Doucette's gun in front of him. Their eyes met, and Lodi recalled the memory of the first time he'd laid eyes on Gilles Doucette, the battlefield outside Kandahar the silent screams of his wounded and dying friends around him. Just like then, Lodi's damaged ears were ringing from the close-range blast. Briefly, he recalled the high-pitched whine that had filled his head that night and the pain like an ice pick jammed into his ears as Doucette emerged from the hull that was supposed to be abandoned. Lodi's higher-ups had been wrong about that, he found out later. It hadn't been an IED factory at all. It had been a drop-off point. The weapons originated from that hut, sure, but they weren't being built there. They were being brought there, imported by Desette and his gang, who were reaping profits from both sides by prolonging a war they were not a part of, selling the very weapons to Al-Qaeda that they were using on Canadian soldiers, men like Lodi's friends, whose body parts lay shredded and destroyed like garbage on the sand around his feet. Doucette, emerging from the hovel, drawing his weapon. Lodi, reaching for his own and finding it missing. Doucette had fired and all that Lodi could do was watch and feel the bullets strike his body armor. That and welcome the pain of their punch, the thud of metal striking meat because he blamed himself for the lives that had been lost that night. But he hadn't closed his eyes, not then and he would not close them now. Lodi had lain there staring at Gilles Doucette, committing his features to memory in case the opportunity arose to meet him again, identify him in a lineup, testify in a court of law, or gut him in his bed. Doucette knew Lodi too, apparently, had called him by his fucking name, which meant he probably had access to the army's files, because as far as Lodi knew, that was the only record of that horrible night. And now here they were, again, face to face, and Lodi wouldn't look away. He knew that as crazy as this day's events had been, nothing short of fate had brought him to this moment. The battle between he and Doucette had been put in motion long before. The outcomes of that terrible night had rippled into a string of events that had led them both right here to now. Maybe their story would end today, one of them standing over the corpse of the other, and Lodi prayed that it would be him standing over the fox because God helped Jenna if it wasn't. Voices drifting to him from the tangle of living, breathing bottles, bodies on the floor around his feet, asking what was going on, if he was okay, if they were safe. But he took no notice. He stared at one thing only, Gilles Doucette, the fox. And for the second time in his life, he watched as Doucette raised his gun arm again, Lodi ducked around and put his back against the wall beside the window, motioning with his hands for the others to stay down. Go ahead, Doucette, he yelled. Go ahead and waste your ammo, and when it's gone I'll come out there and shoot you with your own gun. There was a sharp intake of breath from at his feet. He risked a glance at Jenna, shushing her with the barrel of the gun to his lips. Then he cocked his head listening to hear if Doucette had more to say. Silence from below. Lodi was just about to risk another peek out the ruined window when Doucette spoke. That you that clubbed me earlier, James? His voice dripped with hostility and rage. Lodi let a chuckle drift towards him. That was just a taste, old man. I could have killed you. Had my hands around your throat. Another silence wafted up, and then a moment later, they heard the Range Rover's door slam shut. Lodi became aware of the feeling of being stared at. He looked down at the group of frightened people crouching on the floor beneath the window. He knelt, pointing at the sunken area in the center of the circular ring of tables that made up the council chamber. Keeping his voice low, he told them they would be safer down there, and one by one, they crawled toward it. Mary, her expression wan, had her arms around Tamara. Carrie dropped to the floor beside them and slung an arm around them both, rubbing his hand briskly up and down Mary's back a time or two before letting it drape casually over her shoulder. He turned his head and looked at Jay, still streaming. These dudes were right. That Fallon guy brought a gun here. He used it to shoot at us. Shit's getting real now. Gary muttered. Watching them, Jenna couldn't help but agree. The day had gone from bad to worse. They were being shot at in the council chambers, for Christ's sakes. If it hadn't been for Lodi's quick reaction, some of them would have been dead. She cocked her head and looked at him appraisingly. He was still hunkered by the window, craning his neck at different angles and trying to somehow see around the dumpster. It's as though he has appointed himself our protector, she thought. And as he leaned hard to the left, she couldn't help but notice the way the fabric of his t-shirt clung to the muscles in his back. A sliver of smooth flesh became exposed above his jeans. She peered closer, berating herself internally. Get a hold of yourself but she couldn't help it. The guy was beautiful. He was the most beautiful man she had ever seen, and she found herself having a brief and vivid daydream of what it would feel like to run her hands over that smooth skin and pull him close to her. Suddenly, she felt a tickle along her ear as Wanda Blake leaned close enough to whisper, Busted! She felt the blush rise to her face, "'Wanda, you startled me. I was just... just... I know what you were just, okay? "'Hell, I don't blame you. Even I was looking. How do you think I caught you? "'He's nice to have around, isn't he?' "'Wanda nodded her head toward Lodi, who was crab-walking backward from the window. "'They heard the double-pop his kneecaps made as he stood up, "'and then there was a moment of awkward silence as he realized that they had both been staring at him,' and they realized they'd been caught. He cleared his throat, a faint blush coloring his cheeks, and then he dropped down beside them on the floor. He leaned back against the step, appearing totally at ease. Doucette's gone back inside his vehicle. It's not the ideal situation. My guess is he has a phone in there and used it to get that Fallon guy to rearm him. That about sums it up, Vic muttered. He looked into the webcam. Mine and Debbie's boss just brought that thug the weapon that we all got shot at with. Vic looked wryly at Deb. It's like, I knew he was a shit heel, right? I just never figured he was that bad. Debbie slammed her fists down on her thighs in anger. Vic, Fallon's one of them. He's the man who sold the world. And you and I, we work for him. We work for him. If they're fracking here illegally and it's causing all this damage that people in the evac zone are going to die from, well, then we're part of it. All of us, me and you and Kimmy Pumbleton and Murray Chen and everyone we work with, we're a part of killing people because the money that pays our paychecks is dirty money. Hell, if the evac zone floods and people die, It's blood money. And how are we supposed to just go in there in two hours and start our shit? She held her hands palm up, but Victor had no answer for her. It's messed up, dude. I know. It's terrible. Fallon knows. He probably thought the whole thing up. He's the one that makes the money from it. He's selling all these vehicles because they're supposed to be environmentally friendly. And yet the way they get the gas is to run the fucking things is damaging the planet worse than anything. Everything is a lie. It's all a lie. Everything the corporations tell you like this or that is good for you when actually it's causing cancer or leaching radiation into the water table. I'm just fed up with it. Those dirty, selfish, gluttonous fucking pricks. How do you justify that? God, it makes me sick. How do you watch a slideshow telling you that you're about to kill a bunch of people then just calmly sit around and agree to cover it up? Deb was crying by this point, hot tears of rage and frustration falling down her beautiful face. She scrubbed them angrily away with the back of her fist. Vic reached out and pulled her against him. She buried her face against his shoulder, crying bitterly. Shh, he whispered against her hair, rubbing his hand up and down her back. Shh, Deb, we didn't know. Me and you and Kimmy Pembleton and Murray Chen, we didn't know what they were doing. We have nothing to feel bad about. We didn't know that they were. Well, we sure as fuck know now. Deb pushed back from him, rocked on her heels, and stood to pace the room. Stay back from that window, Lodi muttered. But Deb thrust her arm out stiffly and pointed at the shattered glass. Vic, we can't, I can't, go into work today at three o'clock and start my shift and just proceed like nothing happened. We need to tell people what Fallon's done. We need to stop production at the plant. We need to blow the whistle. We need to... to... She broke off, biting delicately on the edge of her perfectly manicured thumbnail. Tears glistened in her eyes. She looked wild and magnificently human and vulnerable, and Vic felt something stir inside his heart for her. Debbie caught his eye and held it, and her voice dropped to a whisper. We need to do something, Vic. We need to. Wildcat, Victor said. Deb's eyes widened. We need a fucking wildcat, Deb, right now while Fallon's there and those TV crews. He looked at her intently, and then impossibly, he winked at her, and then she was laughing and crying all at once. Yeah, Vic, Deb said. Then she did something that shocked him. She leaned over and smooched him soundly on the lips. She pulled away, and he touched his fingers to his mouth. She smiled. Let's go teach that SOB a thing or two about the people he's got working for him, hey? Fucking A. Vic held out a hand so she could pull him to his feet. Fuck those A-holes anyway. Jenna was watching this exchange, and she felt momentum shift. Her little band of thieves was breaking up. Vic and Deb were branching off to fight a separate battle from the one that she was waging here at the municipal building and she wasn't altogether sure that she was comfortable with that. Wait now, wait a minute. What are you guys going to do? We're going to the plant to start a wildcat strike. Deb met Jenna's eyes. Jenna saw the determination there and knew there was no sense arguing with her. Besides, who am I to do that? If today isn't the day to follow your heart, when is? We're going to the plant to stop the line. We're going to make that asshole Fallon answer to the things that slideshow says. And not another thrust rolls off that line until he tells us where the natural gas is coming from. And we're going to do it on TV. Right, Vic? You bet. Gotta go now while he's there before the press leaves. Well, then I guess you better get going then, huh? Jenna gave them a smile then held out her arms to Deb, who leaned in close and hugged her tight. Be safe, Jenna whispered to her. She felt Deb nod against her cheek. You too. Deb pulled away and grabbed Vic's hand. A nervous smile flashed between them. Then they headed for the door. Lodi stood up. I'll walk you down. They had made it to the main entrance when Lodi felt the prickle of alarm. Instinct only, but this time he was listening. He always listened now. He'd learned that lesson. He stopped, held up a hand behind him, toward the two of them. Motioning for them to stay put, he crept forward, put his back against the doorframe, scanned from side to side along the walkway. Doucette was near. He felt it. Cautiously, he reached out to turn the deadbolt, open the door a couple inches, and use the reflection of the glass to check around the bright white fountain thrust. Eco-friendly. Ethically sourced, shouted the logos on the side. My fucking ass you are, he muttered at the car. But the way appeared to be safe, for now. You say something, bro? Vic whispered from behind. Lord, I waved them forward. I'll go out first and cover you. As soon as I'm out the door, you move, okay? Get your key out now and have it ready. When I give the signal, I want both of you to haul ass out of here. Get in the car and leave. Don't worry about seatbelts until you're on the road. Just get inside that car and boogie. Got it? Vic looked at Deb. You sure you want to do this? Deb swallowed audibly. Yep. Vic gripped her hand. All right. Ready when you are, bro. Don't take no shit, Lodi said. Nail that bastard to the wall. We'll do our best, Deb said. Wait. Vic stepped in front of Lodi. Earlier, you said you're new in town. Got no friends except for Wanda. Lodi nodded. Vic stuck out his hand. Well, you got one now. After what we just went through up there, you got one now. You saved our lives. Slowly, a grin broke over Lodi's face. He gripped Vic's hand and pumped it twice. Well, all right, he said. You got one, too. Cheers, mate. There was a feeling of buoyancy inside him that Lodi hadn't felt in a long, long time. To disguise it, Lodi took a breath, then puffed air outwards. Okay, let's do this. Count of three. One, two, and he was out the door. Vic broke into a run, hauling Deb behind him. With his back pressed tight against the cinder block wall, Lodi watched Vic shield her with his body until they reached the passenger door before sprinting around to climb behind the wheel. The engine purred to life. Vic put it in reverse. The tires chirped. The little car squirted backwards and peeled out onto the road. Through the window, Lodi saw Vic flash him a quick salute. Lodi gave one back. He turned to go back inside the building, but something made him pause. There was a bicycle on the sidewalk, or what used to be a bicycle, Someone had teed off on it. The frame was bent and broken. The tires slashed. It rested in a jumble underneath a little wall plaque reading, Mayor Doucette. He hesitated with his hand on the door handle. There was a part of him that knew that if he were to go out back right now, probably catch the fox by surprise. There was a chance he could end things once and for all. Another part of him screamed that it would be a mistake to underestimate Doucette. He'd already walked up on that guy once in this life without knowing where he was, and that had ended badly. Be careful, he thought to himself. You made a promise to protect her. You need to be smart, to be ready. Don't blow this. He looked back over at what was left of the bicycle. Doucette had clearly been out front without them noticing. He could be anywhere. Even right now, he could even be making his way upstairs to Jenna. Lodi winced at the image, then shook his head. He couldn't take that chance. Locking the door behind him, he ran back up the stairs. All right, guys, so I'm going to leave it there for today. I'll be back tomorrow with Chapter 10, Debbie. Um, In the chapter there, Chapter 9, Jenna felt momentum shift I just want to say I'm feeling the momentum shift as well. Wherever you are out there, I hope you're okay. Keeping positive, staying safe, taking care of yourself. Self-care and love and kindness and compassion are the things that are going to get us through this. Wherever you are, stay free.